For ways that you can support the people of Ukraine, please check the show notes. We've included some links to organizations which are helping refugees, providing medical aid, supporting the Ukrainian military, or covering the war. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian Literature for the Inebriated. I'm Matt Garrisonovich, a PhD student in Russian Lit. This week, slowly pushing our friends in Discord closer to, you know, packing it all up and going and starting a commune. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're working on health insurance now for, yep. yeah, well, it's, it's a commune slash publishing kind of environment is what we're thinking about. So, <laughs> you know, that, that appeals to you, pub- publishing a magazine and doing farming. Let us know. <laughs> well, I'm Cameron Lalana, and I got a, a haircut for like the first time in four or five months. And I've gone from having pretty long hair to now looking like I've joined the military mm-hmm. uh, because uh, she cut it all. I, I usually get my the side shaved and leave the top long, but now it's just like side shaved, top short. So luckily, one of my coworkers was planning to sell me to the military because um, th- there have been like military recruiters that have been like hunting her down. So I, I'm getting ahead of the curve, I guess, for 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 you know joining the infantry. Apparently, I still get emails sometimes from recruiters. Really? Yeah. I, I, they always look like a scam. So U.S. government, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I don't think it is because it has a lot of details that seem pretty legitimate. Um, they're like college 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 programs they're targeting. Mm-hmm. I guess they could make sense, but they look a little scammy. Uh, peak recruiting grounds, Russian <laughs> literature <laughs> departments. I can tell you nothing you want to know in everything <laughs> you don't. Uh, I told I think I last time I, I told the recruiters here at my high school that I had asthma and was colorblind, which which are both true things. Uh and then they left me alone forever, so Really? Yeah. Well I mean maybe I just they, they saw that I, I looked like one of the weird kids. They're like, uh don't want to talk to that kid. If I was a recruiter, I would now knowing nothing about the military, I think that the, those are pretty weak excuses. I could I feel like I could have pressured you in if those were your best <laughs> excuses. <laughs> that's why i'm wondering if they saw that like they're like oh this kid every day he's wearing that metallica shirt and those cargo (laughs) pants uh we don't we don't need any more of this energy (laughs) the amount of metallica shirts we've confiscated (laughs) (laughs) oh god his favorite album is and justice for all that's um mm, big cringe we should be more ride the lightning era bro god please get to the episode let's get moving okay (laughs) let's go speaking of this is a podcast where me and my good pal cameron get to unwind from our week with some russian literature and a drink or two. This week, we're going to be reading part five of Crime and Punishment. Uh, we'll be covering the various ways that you can, in fact, make an ass of yourself, uh, whether the intertwined crime is real or not. <laughs> can you tell that I wrote the summary today and not mad? I like that. I was discovering it as I went along. At first, I thought it was a massive typo. Um, and then I realized it was funny. No, I just type real weird. It's it's funny because I just I, I, I just uh, made some edits to your thesis where I was incredibly pedantic and now you're reading my writing and it's also not also terrible. It is terrible as opposed to yours, but no, 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 no. It's just sometimes when I do these, I, I leave the ones in from the wrong week because, you know, I, I'm an incredibly hard worker and I, you know, I, I struggle to change out the one sentence every podcast episode that I have to. <laughs> yeah, well, before we uh, roll back too much of uh, of, of the secrets. Uh, let's let's talk today about what you are drinking. Yes, I have decaf uh, coffee. I oh. I put 
whiskey in it. Very nice. My body is messed up from the time change of one hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's a big difference at the end of the Chicago winter. So I decided to give my body continued mixed signals. So a little, um, <laughs> little faux caffeine and alcohol surely will be helpful. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. What about you? I, you know, I've been trying to be on brand this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, my original plan was to, because in this part, we get a funeral in which there are many cheap alcohols. Um, my plan was to get Carlo Rossi wine or like a, a very cheap wine. And I did buy a very cheap wine. In fact, the cheapest wine I could buy $3 for a bottle. Okay. Uh, but then we had movie night last night and I drank the bottle during movie night. So where'd you, where'd you get it from? The bot where'd I get the, the wine yeah. from Winco. I, okay. Yes. That's <laughs> I didn't know if it was the, uh, the infamous I, three buck chuck. Oh no, it was not three buck chuck. No, although could have gotten that too. Sounded suspiciously similar. <laughs> no, so today I'm I'm drinking uh, a cucumber sour beer from Ten Barrel Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. Do you, and do you think this is more or less on brand? <sighs> more on brand for me, mm-hmm. less on brand for trying to drink something from the episode. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, before we go on too long, before we turn this into another nine minutes about Alhambra about the Alhambra situation, uh, we wanted to remind everyone before we get into the episode that if you want to read along with us during our Crime and Punishment series, that you should grab a book through our affiliate links on our website and consider becoming a Patreon to join our monthly reading group. Uh, we we so far with our our, our reading stuff, uh, uh, it's been like half reading group, half just shooting the shit. So. It's fun either way. Uh, but as for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to early episodes, join our reading group, and have a say in what we read next. If you're not interested in Patreon but still want to help us out, you can leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or sign up for our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. Yes, you should You should become a, you should become a patron. If not, I mean, really. What are you doing? What are you doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not in the, you're not in the reading group, that's for sure. And that's just, that's just a shame. It's just a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, this week, this is interesting because a lot of the the parts going in so far, I have to say, Matt. Yeah. They've been, they they've felt like, oh my god, so much happened in this these eighty pages. Mm-hmm. This part is the exact opposite. There's like you read eighty pages, and like wow, so little happened in these eighty pages. <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, I think in any end of the book, you'd be like, this is a normal amount of things to happen in these eighty pages. But I'm so used to like sitting down at the end of the week and writing the the preparatory summary for this and being like oh my god how did this this all happen in this one part <laughs> and now i'm looking at this and being like wait did i miss something i can't this can't possibly be everything that happened this is like one hour in one day yeah i think part of it is the fact that like literally all of it is just conversation <laughs> that's yeah that's true so you know it's all right yeah no it's it's interesting and we'll get into it so uh let's talk about what happens let's talk about our favorite people Lusion and Lobezyatnikov. Um, I can't remember if we brought Lobezyatnikov up before. He's appeared in a couple places. Um, he's one of the lodgers in um, in the apartment that uh, Madame, not Madame Rieslik, uh that uh, Katerina Ivanovna lives in. And in fact, he's one of the, uh, really his main part in the story so far is he's one of the voices who got Sonia driven out of that apartment when she, you know, took up the yellow card. So everybody's favorite character, mm-hmm. Lobezyatnikov, who has only contributed good things so far, and <laughs> Lusion. So we, we join them as they're going about their day. And, and Lucian's just kind of sitting around in the apartment and thinking. And the reason why they're together is because um, Lucian came to Petersburg to, like we've discussed before, set some affairs in order, do some business. And he's really wanting to get a feel for what people believe. So far, he, because he sees kind of Petersburg as the bastion for uh, uh, like what the new ideas are. And so far, he's represented himself as on the vanguard of those ideas. 
But now that we're sitting with him as he's thinking about it, we find out that really, he actually mostly hates those ideas. Um, and he's really just coming to Petersburg to make sure that he none of them are going to be dangerous to him financially or personally. So as he's going through that, he's also still really mad about the fact that Dunya is probably going to call off the wedding. And he's, well, he's not mad about that. He's mad about the fact that the apartment which he's rented, which is currently being redecorated, which is why he's staying with Lebeziatnikov instead of living there. Um, it, it's... It, he's like, they probably the person I, I rented from, they're probably not gonna terminate this contract, even though I'm not even may not even go through with this marriage anymore. And he's like, can I find someone else to marry? Because I'm already I've already bought all the furniture. And then he's like, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't get married only for the furniture, which may be the only reasonable <laughs> thought that Lucian I think so ever has. Yeah, so far that's about <laughs> the only one that I've agreed with, which is yes, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, yeah, ten out of ten here for Lucian. So, uh, uh, getting back to the the fact that he's very dismissive of the you know new progressive ideas of Petersburg, um, Lebeziatnikov is a an apparent proponent of these ideas. He's all about all these new this th- these newfangled stuff. It, 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 in a sense, um, I I don't I I don't know exactly if Lebeziatnikov is supposed to be kind of a, a take on Chernyshevsky, but I I wouldn't say that go that far. I do think Lebeziatnikov is kind of a a collective representation of how Dostoevsky maybe felt about the kind of ideas that Chernyshevsky and his intellectual ilk were putting forth. Well, you got to keep in mind too that this was written after Chernyshevsky's What Is to Be Done and mm-hmm. Turgenev's Fathers and Children. So I think, yeah, like you're saying, it's kind of Dostoevsky's take on on these two <laughs> very influential stories. Yeah. And, and the reason why I, I guess I would... Yeah, tie it to Chernyshevsky specifically, and especially um, uh, uh, what is to be done, is a lot of the ideas that are discussed are, are Lebeziatnikov's views on the commune, you know, yep. free and open marriages, all that kind of stuff, which is a feature of what is to be done. Yeah, a lot of things are discussed. Uh, Lebeziatnikov is, is telling Lucian, for example, like, oh, you should go ahead and marry Dunya anyway. And, you know, if she falls in love with someone else, that's just part of it. That's like, that's means she trusts you if she tells you that that's happening. And then Lucian is like very bitterly like you don't really understand you you youth um well not really like that he he obviously detests Lebeziatnikov but he kind of pretends that he doesn't because Lebeziatnikov is giving him a place to live uh but it's at this point where like they've been together long living here long enough that Lebeziatnikov is probably starting to get the sense that Lucian absolutely detests him and all of his ideas and uh and is always just barely not making fun of him to his face about his ideas and they're both just such idiots throughout their argument as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's an important thing to note is that Lebeziatnikov, he's portrayed as definitely intellectually wanting. Um, mm-hmm. and, but Lucian also really doesn't have anything to say back to him. He's just kind of rolling his eyes at it and be like, ah, oh, I can't believe they re- he really believes that. So naive. But neither of them are really putting forth good. No, neither of them are really having a great conversation here. No, it's, it's mostly a, a train wreck for like 20 pages. Yeah. Um, but funny along the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, after they have had this long discussion, uh, uh, Lucian notes to himself that uh, he he was invited to the funeral for Marmaladov. Katerina Ivanovna has met him, and because again he's living in in her building, and he is kind of like this. Something to note about this building is it's not a super high class place, so it's a lot of you know it's it's a lot of people. Not no one like really rich. Lucian is the closest thing there to someone who's like rich and famous, I guess. So um, Katerina Ivanovna, upon seeing him, is kind of like she, you know, has that respect for authority 
uh, remembering that she is the daughter of, I think I want to say a major, but she kind of comes from a, a little bit of a higher class. Uh, so seeing him, she kind of immediately connects with him previously and has invited him to the funeral because she wants to have some some sense of like that that previous class that she had when she was younger. Um, and so both he and, and Lebeziatnikov are both invited. Uh, neither of them really plan to attend this. They, they're like, ah, it's kind of kind of below us. Uh, Lucian invites, uh, or, uh, actually, well, Lucian asks Lebeziatnikov to invite Sonia up because she's there helping to uh, a plan for the funeral, or it's going to be more of a wake, really. Um, and so he's like, oh, come get her up here. And also Lucian, is, is this is he further makes fun of Lebeziatnikov because it's, it's quite apparent that Lebeziatnikov has, uh, is, is um, quite attracted to Sonia and Lucian quite keeps like making fun of him for it. And Lebeziatnikov keeps defending himself on the grounds that no, it's really just a purely intellectual, in, in, you know, engagement with her, with her that I'm interested in. And, you know, if she showed, so chose to say, you know, like strike up a relationship, of course, I'd be happy about it. But, you know, it's not really my intent. Uh, nice guys, man. <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> I actually I was listening to the audiobook of this and it was the worst thing of my it was the worst part to listen to because after every <laughs> like pointed comment by Lucian, the the narrator on the audiobook would would mimic all of his speech patterns going, hey, hey, hey. and I really did not like <laughs> it. <laughs> I really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> oh my god that sounds horrible mm -hmm. i oh wow i i i know he laughs a lot in this part but i oh wow he mm. laughs a lot Don't love that. usually i can't focus with audiobooks but this would mm. constantly be bringing my attention back to how much i hated my own existence <laughs> <laughs> everything's going fine then suddenly and then lucian laughed that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was uncomfy <laughs> um so Lebeziatnikov does does carry through with Lucian's request, and he invites Sonia up. Um, and, and Lucian talks to her and says, "Hey, you know, I know your mom has talked about. Uh, we, we've I've talked to her to your mom, and I've I've talked her through how she can maybe start to pick up a a, a salary from the government, and you know, some things that might be available to her um, to help make sure that you can take care of the family and get some more money. And you know, says, uh, don't worry about it. I'm going to make sure that you and your mother and your your siblings are okay." And he's like, kind of, he hands her some money and says, and, and, uh, and he gives her a 10 ruble note and says, here, like, take this for now, you know, to help pay for expenses today. Um, it says a side note, uh, he's also been counting money all morning. So he's like, he's had a bunch of money on the table, which uh, Lucian has also, <laughs> has also been doing to make fun of Lebeziatnikov because Lebeziatnikov is, is, is against, you know, profit as, as an incentive to anything. But he, he enjoys just taunting Lebeziatnikov with how much money he has. Uh, <laughs> just kind of like a fun boy's day, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and and when he comes after he escorts Sonia out, it's actually worth noting here. I, it's this has been very illusion centered perspective. Uh, this is this is actually an interesting narrative technique that Dostoevsky has been using, where we're almost entirely from his perspective and his thoughts, but there's also a couple objective things happening there, or like being described in which he keep, he keeps thinking, "Wow, I'm making Sonia so comfortable." And like the next part is is Sonia could not look him in the eyes because she was so terrified uh, and kept kept trying to jump up and leave and he kept pulling her back to the chair and sitting her down. And the very next sentence is 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 um Lucian thinking, "Wow. Yeah, I'm so good at this. I'm I'm really making her feel very comfortable," which is interesting. I guess not even for <laughs> for for Lucian, you don't need to worry about narrative continuity. It's it's too important to to, to let everyone know. This is not what he's thinking is not in fact what is happening here, just so you know. Cameron's on the pro-lusion camp. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, 
<laughs> not for illusion, not for illusion. Just <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting that that the narrative is like really want, wants you to be sure that what what Lucian's thinking is not correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, as it, as it should. So he comes back uh, and he kind of finishes up with that conversation, and Lebeziatnikov kind of comes over uh, when Lucian has asked Lebeziatnikov to stay there the whole time because you know <laughs> every he's a very normal person. Uh, and Lebeziatnikov kind of claps him on the back and is like, good for you. I know you really, you know, I don't usually approve of charity uh, because it's, you know, it, it's not, it's not a measure that's, that's systematic. But in this particular case, you know, I can understand why you'd give that money to her. And I think that was the right thing to do. He's actually like very pro illusion, which is, is interesting because at this point it's been very tense for them. So we go from there to joining Katerina Ivanovna downstairs, who's preparing for um, for Marmaladov's funeral, and we're kind of going through the days and all the things that have beset her. Uh, you know, the, uh, Amalia Ivanovna, their their landlord, uh, has been you know trying to help. Uh, she's been doing a lot of she actually has been doing all the cooking for the events. Um, and there's there's a, a, a I don't think that they give this guy a name, but there's one of their neighbors who is I think referred to as the pole, at least in my copy the whole time. Um, is 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 helping is running around helping her out and uh he's like doing a lot of the things for her and we learn more about katarina ivanovna's habits which are when she meets someone she kind of sees the best in them so she'll immediately take them around to everyone and be like oh you know thank goodness for this guy or amalia ivanovna they're like they're so helpful they're so righteous they're such good people and then when they don't live up to her unrealistic standards she gets really disappointed in them and starts like (laughs) kind of trying to break them down because she no longer wants to hang around with them um and uh, she invites everyone in the building, you know, people out in the street, uh, all her neighbors, and it turns out to be a bust because almost no one attends, um, especially the ones that Kennery Ivanovna had wanted to attend. So basically, it's really just Amalia Ivanovna, um, you know, the, her neighbor, who's, who's the, the Polish neighbor who has brought some of his friends who Katarina Ivanovna does not know. You can't and then one be, or two, a couple other. There's, there's like, no way oh, yeah. that she wanted that person to intend just based on the fact that the descriptor is the pole, you know? Yeah. Not a great sign. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, no, she, de- well, she definitely doesn't want them to attend because she spends the entire dinner making fun of the, She was like, don't you poles steal anything? Uh, so to their face. So <laughs> I love house guests. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah there's there's that so there are a couple of the people who are from the building who are all really just there to see things go down in flames uh they don't care they just want to get drunk for free um and all like they're more quote-unquote respectable neighbors are all kind of turn their turn their head and turn noses up at them uh the uh one of the specifically there is a one of their lodgers one of the other lodgers is an older woman and her daughter who had kind of turned their nose up at Katerina Ivanovna because of um, because of Sonia becoming a prostitute, um, and she's like, "Let me show you how you know uh, how good of a party I can throw in a good of a wake." Um, and of course, no one attends, so she's not feeling great. Katerina Ivanovna is basically sitting at this table, insulting her guests and ignoring Amalia Ivanovna. Um, and then, thankfully for her, Raskolnikov shows up, who is now the <laughs> most quote-unquote respectable person there so she immediately puts him down in a place of honor right next to her um and and she's like telling everyone like oh this is this is raskolnikov he's a law student he's you know gonna go far in fact they're even saying he might become a judge i don't know if it was a judge specifically but she's like he they, they say he might even get exposition which he's definitely not going to get you know because he's not even a law student anymore yeah she did, she does it for the few people that she likes that kind of show up for herself mm-hmm. but also just her own general self-mythologizing that she does throughout the the part yeah yeah exactly 
So he gets sat down and he starts to eat and drink a little bit. And then Sonia joins them eventually. And she sits down next to Raskolnikov. And before anything really happens, Lucian walks in. And initially, Katarina Ivanovna is excited. She She's like, oh, 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 good. Our, you know, this man who told me that he will take care of us. He will get us the pension. He will get us everything. He's going to make sure that we're all fine. And he comes in and he looks directly at Sonia and says to the crowd, uh, this woman has stolen a hundred rubles from me. And um, things come, you know, to a halt after that. Mm-hmm. You know, initially, Sonia just like, no, steal a hundred rubles from you. No, I couldn't have. And Katerina Ivanovna, bless her heart for all of her failures, she immediately jumps to her, her stepdaughter's defense and is like, no, there's no. Sonia, Sonia doesn't do anything. Sonia has never done anything except to benefit other people. She would never take your money. Why, why would she even want your money? Because you, you're already going to help us get a salary. So that's better than stealing from me. That, that, would, that would obviously, that doesn't even make sense. And then Lucian, who's now got a very different persona, is like, no, I never said I'd help you get a salary. I said, maybe I could help you do go through the process. But frankly, because Marmolanov didn't even con- 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 complete his government service, I don't even think you'll get a salary. So I didn't say any of that. And in fact, when I invited her in to tell her that this morning, I, I was cutting money out because I just you know, cashed in some bonds. And uh, I noticed after she left that I was missing 100 rubles. And so I decided that because I, I, I told her the truth and that you had completely exaggerated what I said to you, which to be fair, she may actually have, but he definitely, it's illusion. So the, he definitely, he definitely did imply that to her in such a way that would lead her to that conclusion. And uh, uh, says, you know, that's why she must have taken the money. And again, Katerina Ivanovna says, no, this, you can't prove she has the money. I mean, where would it even be? And and Lucian's like, well, have her turn out her pockets. Let's check. Sonia does to prove she doesn't. And, and what do you know? A uh, hundred rubles falls out of her pocket. <gasps> no, Sonia. Gasp. Did Sonia, did Sonia steal a hundred rubles from Lucian? Uh, the answer is obviously no. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost immediately after the money is found, um, Lucian turns around and points to Labaziatnikov, who is brought to this, and says, Look, see, this man was with me this whole morning. He was there when I was counting out the money. He knows that there was a lot of money on the table. He was there when I was talking to Sonia. He knows that uh, I, she had to have taken this because he's been with me all day. And so he knows that I brought the money in this morning, that I counted it all out. He's watched me make sure I had all the money. And then she came in and she sat, sat at the table where all the money was. And isn't it true, Lebeziatnikov, that she kept trying to jump up to leave and her, her hands were off on the table, which, you know, her hands are on the table because she's trying to get up to leave to get away from him. But of course, you know, now he's, he's re- reworking these series of events mm-hmm. and, uh, and says like he, she must have grabbed it and tried to leave at some point. And uh, he's like, right. And then everyone's you know dead silent because they're like, oh my God, maybe Sonia did steal the money. And then Lebeziatnikov does one genuine thing maybe in his life and steps in and says wait hold on no that's not what happened and in fact this i know this is what happened because i saw you slip 100 rubles into her pocket when you were walking her out and i thought that you were doing i thought you were asking me to stand there and watch just because you wanted uh because you wanted to make sure that everything that no one could say anything weird about what happened here but then i saw you slip that those rubles to her and that's why i was so happy with you this morning because i thought that you were really trying to help them out and and I now I realize that if you're going to do this, that there's no no way that that's what you meant. If you you put that money in her pocket, so you must have intended to do this all along, which I find uh quite quite disheartening, quite gross, quite disgusting. Yeah, not great, certainly. Not yeah, not ideal. So, uh, uh, Lucian is like turns very pale, and it's so at this point, uh, it, it the crowd which has been treating this kind of as a spectacle 
is like, oh, wait, so you're trying to trick us. And they're all kind of crowding in and, and making fun of Lucian. And, uh, you know, he... <laughs> Uh, so in my in my copy I'm reading here, Lucian, who was very pale, remained silent and smiled scornfully. He seemed to be looking for some way of getting out of his difficulty. Perhaps he would gladly have made off then and there, but at that moment, retreat seemed almost impossible. To have left would have been an implicit acknowledgement of the justice of the accusations made against him and to his own culpability in having slandered Sonia. Uh, so the, the guests are like now getting up in his face. They're They're like, you know, like yelling at him and he keeps trying to talk them down, but Obviously, they're a, a drunk crowd who's now having a great time with this sudden, you know, drama. See, it's the actual crime and punishment of the novel, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, um, yeah, Levis Yannikov is like really getting on him. He's like, I no longer wish to breathe the same air as yourself. And I must ask you to leave my room, says Levis Yannikov, trying to get him out. <laughs> um, even while things are falling apart around him, Levis Yannikov is like, get out of my room. You know, you no longer have a place to say. Raskolnikov, who's been silent this whole time, finally steps up and says, hey, I guess he decides it's, it's time to put the final nail in the coffin and says, you know, I think uh, uh, this, it, this may seem senseless, but in fact, Lucian is or was supposed to marry my sister but because we did not get along my sister took my side in the argument we had and he decided that if she was going to take my side then they could not marry and he has a vendetta against me and he's declared as such so perhaps he's going about this trying to get back at me by undermining Sonia who is someone that I care about and that gets the crowd even more riled up. And at this point, you know, Lucian sees that there's truly no way that he can he can win this again. So he he begins to kind of uh, get out of the party. Not least of all, because now the crowd's getting a little a little wild. Uh, one of the one of the guests picks up a glass, and after hearing this, throws it at Lucian, um, and it misses. Lucian hits another hits a, a, another guest, uh, and so everyone's starting to lose just lose their minds now. So he's like, okay, um, I, I'm it's time for me to get out. Not least of all, because Katerina Ivanovna has finally lost it, is screaming at him to get out. <laughs> it's it's just, it's it's utter chaos at this point. It's a great party. It's one. Yeah, the, and, one and it's, it's it's a great party. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's going so well that uh, Sonia takes off and runs, uh, um, r- runs, runs away from this whole event. Raskolnikov, after staying a little bit longer <laughs> to watch what's happening, to watch the world burn, and he's now looking. At, <laughs> you watch watch the world burn, just seeing the children, uh, you know, uh, pull in. Uh, like all, all, all of Katerina Ivanovna's kids just like cowering in a corner and crying. He's like, okay, I've done I've done my business here. Uh, let me go hang out with Sonia now. So he goes to he goes to uh, Sonia's room and, you know, Madame Rieslich, uh, Rieslich's uh, apartment. And he kind of sits down with her and says, hey, remember what I said to you yesterday? Uh, uh, first of all, she kind of comes in and she's like, oh, thank God you're here. Like, what would I have done without you? And actually, she would have been fine because Lebeziatnikov had already proven Lucian to be wrong. In fact, trying to trick everyone. But that's beside neither here nor there. Um, and he says, sits down and is like, okay, Sonia, I know it's like some really, I know some really awful things just happened to you. That being said, let's talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically is, he, he, he in, in such a way, he is kind of implying that like uh, Sonia should when he starts talking to her, he's kind of implying that she should essentially not associate with him. Uh, and so he's getting into this conversation in, in just the most sensitive way possible when he says to her, um, I'm speaking seriously. Suppose, Sonia, that you had been previously aware of Lucian's intentions and that you had known his projects meant to bring about the ruin of Katerina Ivanovna and her children, to say nothing of your own. Suppose that as a consequence, Polenka should be condemned to a life like your own. Suppose such to be the case. 
and it were to depend on either you to annihilate Lucian, thereby saving Katerina Ivanovna and her family, or let Lucian continue to continue his infamous machinations. What would you decide upon? I am anxious to know. And Sonia is like, I, I can't answer that question. Why, why, would you, why would you even ask that? Which is a fair response. And he keep, keeps pushing her. And he's like, and she's like, she will, she won't answer the question because this is not how she thinks. Uh, and she says, like, tell me, like, Raskolnikov, just, just come out, say what you mean, what you mean to say. Uh, and he, again, he can't, and he's just like, I, you know, I really, I can't, I don't know how to say this. And they says, look, I told you yesterday that today I was going to come and tell you who killed, um, you know, who killed the pawnbroker and Lizaveta. And he. Keep he, for the next couple of pages. It keeps implying that, like you know, I, I had like I know who it is, and she keep, she's wants to see the best in Raskolnikov, so she keeps not believing him until he's like really like no, I you, you keep trying, you can get it, you know who killed, you know who killed Lizaveta, until she understands it and um, you know, kind of falls down into her bed and really seems to know know what know not what to do until uh, <laughs> a later she kind of like jumps up and exclaims, you are lost. Uh, and rising rising suddenly, she threw herself on his neck and kissed him, lavishing tenderness on him. Not the response I was expecting. Uh, Raskolnikov broke away with a sad smile, looked at her. this girl. I don't understand you, Sonia. You kissed me after I told you that. And she says, no, at this moment, there can't be a more unhappy man on earth than you are. But, I mean, fair enough, that might be the truth. <laughs> and he says, you know, asks her, like, won't you, won't you forsake me now knowing this? And she says, no, I shall follow you, shall follow you everywhere. And why hadn't haven't I known sooner? Why didn't you come before? So this is I'm just highlighting that because that's gonna her kind of dedication, her dedicating herself to sticking around with him is is gonna become obviously um, is going to remain a feature for the rest of the story. So they they begin to have a, basically a, a, a back and forth about it, and she's asking him, you know, okay, well you you know you clearly you want to confess. Why don't you turn yourself in and Raskolnikov is just like, you know, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't turned myself in. Uh, and they, they have this this dialogue. Um, and he she is kind of like bringing him around. You know, she's asking, you know, why, why, why would you do this? And he's trying to explain to her, but she really is just not even capable of understanding. And like this, this mindset of his is totally alien to her. And, and, and so she's uh, trying to get him to uh, accept it. And I think he says, okay, I, well, I will give myself the authorities, but you know, it would be better for you never to come visit me in prison. Um, and then she kind of, uh, and she, she, her response is to make sure you check if he has a cross, which he does not, and says, here, take mine. She gives him her, her wood cross and says, you know, we shall mutually go and make atonement, and so shall we mutually wear the cross, basically uh, yoking herself with him with, for the burden of this crime. And while they're having this conversation, Lebeziatnikov suddenly shows up, which is not something you ever really want in general. Um, and comes and tells them, hey, guys, um, Katerina Ivanovna is like a, a little bit. Um, mm. So the thing is, I think she might have uh, lost it a little bit um, in the sense that she has now made. She has dressed up all, all the children in little little outfits, little like um, kind of street performer outfits and is now making uh, now making them perform in the street while she plays music. So. Things have gone from bad to worse in the time that Sonia has been gone. And uh, so uh, Raskolnikov leaves and goes uh, back home to Dunya and tells her essentially that he's decided to turn himself in and, and bids her goodbye. Um, not not, uh, not uh, really explain, telling why he's, he's saying. He's basically just like, just like, Dunya, don't worry about it. 
Rosamikin is going to take care of you. Everything's going to be okay. Um, you know, uh, just goodbye. And he kind of, and she, as she's imploring him, tell him like, what, what do you mean? Just come on, come back. What's, what's happening. And he just, he takes off and then goes back to help find, find Sonia and, uh, find, find Sonia and, and Katarina Von down. They talk her, they talk her back inside. And at which point, uh, you know, all of her children and, um, and Sonia kind of gather around her while she sings songs and, and, and coughs up blood, uh, before finally, uh, finally dying. Um, and as while, while they're um, while they're kind of waiting for her, uh, while while in the in the aftermath of 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 her death, they're all kind of standing there. Um, Polenka kissing her mother's feet, Sonia uh, clutching you know Katarina Ivanovna's body. Um, they're you know obviously grieving. Um, and at at which point, um, uh, Svidrigailov uh, shows up. Actually, he showed up slightly before her death, but in light of the fact that she's dying, no one paid much attention to him. And he kind of says, okay, look, I for the whole of this business, the burial and so on, I will be responsible. You know it must cost something, and you know, don't worry about it. I, I will take care of this for you. You know, I give you my word uh, that we will, uh, um, that we shall, uh, I give you my word that I will take care of you. Uh, I live on the, actually, I live uh, right next to Sonia. I'm, I'm, I'm right next to her, so come, come to me, you know, obviously easy to find me. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I'll take care of things. And he turns to to, to uh, Raskolnikov and says, "Ah, my dearest Rodion, you've greatly interested me. Uh, I told you we should meet again. Well, we have met, and you see how well favored I am in that uh, people can yet manage to live with me." <laughs> so um, yeah, we're, again, we're ending with Svedrigailov just being kind of a dick, kind of the worst. Uh, well, not in this case, he's not. He's not. He's not being the worst, but you know, obviously, his intents are not good. So that that's what happens in part four. Uh, which is again like i know we spent a long time going over like the particulars because obviously there are a lot of details it's, it's dostoevsky i won't tell you there are never not a lot of details but a lot on the whole a lot fewer things happen that being said the things that happen are way wilder than every other part which is which is incredible because uh, uh raskolnikov murders some two people with an axe in part one and frankly it doesn't even touch the weirdest things that happen in this book it's kind of like an asterisk on the general narrative <laughs> <laughs> but before yeah. we talk more about the plot do you want to go on a quick walk over to the crystal pals yeah let's let's pop on over real quick beautiful um i I was gonna ask you know what is one of the least pleasant sensations Hmm, what is Uh, when you take something right out of the oven like like a pie perhaps and you eat it and you just you burn the the roof of your mouth it's incredibly uncomfortable Mm. but uh that is terrible yeah one way that i i prevent that from happening is by using lingo pie, uh, which is not actually a physical pie, but always seems to be at the right temperature for language learning. Uh, lingo pie is the world's only language learning application that uses real TV shows and movies to help you learn a new language. They use real TV shows and movies from the language you want to learn. Each show comes with subtitles in the original language, and every word is clickable to give you an instant translation in real time to help you learn. LingoPie is great for all levels, from beginner to advanced, with great content and language learning tools appropriate for everyone. And you probably won't burn your mouth with it. So that's <laughs> and good. if you try, that's indicative of some deep problems with what's going on. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so, you know, great, great. As long as you're not, like, eating your hardware, everything should be fine. Yes. And our second partner here, this this is good, because as you heard from Matt reading the Crime and Punishment Cop, if you too want to experience uh, Lucian going, ha, 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 <laughs> after he tries to, like, own own Levaziatnikov, you can experience this, experience this with Libro.fm, which makes it possible for you to buy audiobooks through your local bookstore. Uh, by paying for your monthly membership, or giving an audiobook gift to a friend, or even just buying the audiobooks for yourself or your org, Libro.fm splits the profits profits from your purchase with your local bookstore. They've got many of the books we've read readily available on their site, including, as we've mentioned, Grime and Punishment. Check the show notes for more information. All right. Now we walk back to our uncompromised analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like I said, weird, weird part. Um, <laughs> it's our first Razumikin list chapter. Yeah, that's true. Which... And this, we see what happens with that resume. The moment resume yeah, is not in chaos. the chapter, Lucian shows up. He tries to frame Sonia. Uh, Katerina Ivanovna's whole event is a bust. She kind of, in her, her last moments of life, detaches a little bit and makes her children perform on the street. Um, it's not a, not a great, not a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you normally at this point I'm like, what stands out to you about this? But honestly, like it's hard for me to pin something down. It's just a wild ride from beginning to end. And interesting that they they spent so long setting up that um the bit with <laughs> Lucian like uh, uh trying to set up Sonia, which is you know it, it, it's a large part in chapter one of him counting out the money and everything and getting Sonia in and making a big deal to make sure Lebeziatnikov is there for the whole conversation. Um, and he comes in, they have many pages of dialogue back and forth of Katarina Ivanovna defending Sonia and, and insisting she couldn't possibly have done this uh, before revealing that, oh no, maybe she did do it. <laughs> and then <laughs> Lebeziatnikov, like within a line of Lucian being like, aha, so this is provable, right? Being, no, this is absolutely not what happened. In fact, here's the whole truth. The truth that you, we as readers actually don't get until Lebeziatnikov comes, comes out and says it because it's not mentioned in the narrative that he did give her the money, just sets up the pieces for you to understand it. Which I guess maybe going back to my earlier note that like the text isn't always re- is both like reflective of his thoughts and a little bit of reality. We kind of get a mixture of that where uh, if, I don't know, maybe some of his his understanding kind of edits out the fact that he put the money in her pocket, which isn't mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of his his character and his his worldview. It's kind of almost filtered through that same lens that you can kind of <laughs> reason your way into people owing you things mm-hmm. um, or that you can make people kind of logically deduce their way uh in a way that's uh terrible uh and and not really based on uh, anything uh just kind of circumstance and whatnot uh for mm-hmm. a personal gain and uh yeah really just least favorite character <laughs> everyone's least favorite character with good reason i guess it, it shows it, it's like it expands the list of people of, of worldviews that dostoevsky doesn't love you got, you got the rationalist of like Lebeziatnikov, who's you know, it, it got some un- underlying problems. Obviously, he, he was helped force Sonia out of her living situation, uh, but ends up being in general more of a buffoon who intends good, versus mm-hmm. people like Svidrigailov and um, Lucian who uh, cynically interact with new ideologies, if only to cover up for their inherent uh, uh, just desire to get them get themselves get benefits for themselves over everything else mm-hmm. in like complete i guess the solipsistic worldview mm-hmm. which I, I guess i think we talked about this before that in a way raskolnikov and illusion and maybe sergey aren't like 
obviously Raskolnikov's morals aren't are a little bit weird uh, weird enough to lead him to commit murder but he's mm-hmm. not as generally manipulative as um Lusion and Svidrigailov are so his like sense of his uh, uh, attempt at, at rationalism is kind of undercut by his kind of inherent uh, sort of Dostoevsky humanity I guess I would call it versus their solipsistic mm. you know <laughs> manip- manipulativeness Mm-hmm. I like um I, I think he so I know you were t- mentioning Chernyshevsky earlier but I think he when he's characterizing Lebeziatnikov and he has really quite a lot of things to say um as as the narrator um calling him one mm-hmm. of the half educated idiots who attach themselves to the idea most in fashion only to vulgarize it and who caricature every cause they serve however sincerely uh, was a really <laughs> funny characterization that I think is forms the basis of uh, Fathers and Children by Turgenev, which is basically just uh, one of the reasons that people did not like it when it came out, which everybody felt that it was a caricature of the uh, groups of people that it was discussing and that it wasn't actually, uh, didn't actually represent maybe in the, I, I don't know, the, in the truest form uh, right? who it was critiquing, but... Uh, maybe maybe yeah it takes that makes it genuine it's bizarre feels like an attempt to kind of grapple with those ideas of of nihilism Mm -hmm. and and like the preludes to what become rationalism and socialism in in um latent russia late imperial society um and it goes from like a well-meaning like trying to uh, on turgenev's part well-meaning attempt to understand which like eventually is filtered through his worldview which is i think like sympathetic to it but ultimately kind of more on like the old you know of like arkady's father who is like sympathetic but doesn't entirely understand mm-hmm. uh is a not at all genuine attempt it's just <laughs> <laughs> these idiots yeah and yeah. rightfully so <laughs> yeah but it does it does line up kind of that, that yeah like i said that interesting at least to me interesting uh narrative difference between like the different sorts of like new ideologies that Dostoevsky kind of detests, uh, but like the different underlying motives, which make it fundament like make their character fundamentally different. It it feels. I know we talked about trying to introduce more nuance into the like. <laughs> I guess could you could reductively call anti-rationalist stance in Dostoevsky's part, uh, where a lot of it, you know, whatever the veneer is, and you could say that there's like a rough veneer of similarity between Lebeziatnikov and Luzhin and Svidrigailov and Raskolnikov. But what ultimately makes them very different characters, despite like the the overlying like kind of similarity of like the ideas that they're engaging with, is their inherent mm-hmm. drive, which is very, you know, <laughs> very Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. And you're like it, it's kind of your inner drive, which really ends up determining your outer outer character, you know, regardless of what exactly you put over. Although what you know what exactly you're putting on top of like your inner drive could lead you to maybe do murder. Um. Mm-hmm. It could. So you said something earlier that made me think. It's not something I've worked out and I haven't paid enough attention to it, but the kind of, I know we talked about how Razumikhin is kind of the the connecting thread through a lot of the characters, um, but I'm kind of wondering now that Sonia is more involved, whether she serves as almost like the center for truth in the novel um, mm. and how she interacts in terms of the narrative with the other characters. Um, just the way that you brought that point up earlier about how you're inside the characters in this case you're inside Lucian's head and you know he's thinking one thing and then you immediately break into 
Sonya going, actually, no, no, it's not like that. Um, and I'm wondering if there are more cases where that, I, I know it, it's mm. happened not with Sonya, but I'm wondering if that's like a defining like narratorial feature of the way mm. she's written. And I want to go check on that for future episodes. It's not something yeah. I, I've worked out, but it's an interesting feature of Dostoevsky's narration that I would like to explore a little more when I have time to um, sit down and mark like all of the interjections because there's a lot. <laughs> Four, three, three, new, new highlighter. The new highlights are just when, when Sonya's worldview is so powerful that it breaks through the uh, constructed realities of whoever's narrating with <laughs> that particular part. Well, it is hard to tell sometimes who's actually narrating, I think. Mm, I mean, or like from what perspective it's being narrated from. Is it from the narrator? Is it from someone's perspective? Uh, and then kind of when the, those bleed together, you get some kind of interesting, some interesting things. So that's, I don't have a ton to say on that. Just that I was, you, yeah. you kind of, you jog something interesting I've been thinking about. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> speaking of Sonia, I want to get, talk a little bit more about her. Um, it, it's it interesting. Sonia is someone who is very present in the novel, but it's like almost hard to talk about her because like you said, she doesn't get her own perspective. She gets... Mm-hmm to break through some of the, some of the other characters narrations maybe in, in the case of us understanding that she really wants to get away from Lucian although Lucian does not at all understand that but you you never have a moment to really get her inner inner life mm-hmm. which i guess sometimes we talked about Dostoevsky's many of the women in his books being less characters and more like representations of bigger ideas or concepts or or ideals for in 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 these texts um which i you know trying to maybe trying to track character motivations is I, I don't know not incorrect but not the best way to approach talking about Sonia when frankly the novel kind of makes her I, I guess the term I'm looking for is objectifies her because she's um, almost less less a character more a slash more of a plot element slash challenge to the others or you know in this case uh, you know big support for Raskolnikov when he's like anyway so I killed your only friend and she says don't worry I'll stay with you forever it's like nihilistic pixie dream girl. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the new the new hot alt trend. Nihilistic pixie dream girl uh, uh, fashion. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the next time we have an event. I'll I'll, I'll uh, I don't know what that kind of is, but I'll I'll do my, my best to and Please. again keep in mind I almost only own button ups and like slacks. But I'll do my best to dress that up as nihilistic pixie dream girl. I do have a short haircut, so I got that going for me. Hell yeah. I think Sonya will be more interesting to talk about uh, mm. uh, full novel in scope when we get to yeah. the next part and then also the epilogue uh, when you can consider the full scope of her actions, I guess. She doesn't, I mean, she doesn't really play that big of a part in the first couple parts. So that's, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, but I do. She is very central, obviously. It's interesting how a lot of, um, I would say, Rezumikin has a lot more of, of an internal life than is given to Sonia as a character. But mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting how, like, probably the two, these in heavy quotes, best characters, like characters who are, I, I guess, most obviously kind of aspirational mm-hmm. for for how you act or like what you represent, are Rezumikin and Sonia. And obviously, Rezumikin is given much more of a life than Sonia is, or at least a sense of an internal sense of self. But they are both not given that kind of same 
perspective even even Rosamikin, who's given a, a portion of his own his 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 own the portion which he narrates is very much dedicated to other people and the only like really personal drive he gets is like huh i'm really attracted to dunya and i will i will fight anyone who even applies they're attracted to dunya and also um, maybe raskolnikov already yeah i mean <laughs> we've already gone over that uh don't bring it back well, up we don't need to get back into it don't no i don't need, I, I'm, I'm too sober <laughs> I, okay well i wasn't thinking about the size of raskolnikov's mouth you brought that one up <laughs> I could hear lurking back there. <laughs> that was not in my mind. That was, that's 100% you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm far too sober this time. <laughs> Happens. Yeah, it turn, turns out I'm way less likely to bring that up if, instead of drinking like a quarter of a bottle of vodka and just uh, a beer or two into the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I'm really I will be really interested to, interested to talk about Sonya in a broader perspective once we kind of finish up the novel. To the extent that characters are given development, it's very uneven. It happens haphazard through the novel. Suddenly, you drop into someone's perspective who you've never really gotten it from before. Yeah, such as yeah, this time Lucian. We did have some brief views into him, but this is like the first major time we spent with him, and it's fantastically unpleasant the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate every second of it. <laughs> But. Yeah, and then obviously, uh, yeah, Sonia's last tie to the world is uh, Katerina Ivanovna dies in this part. Mm-hmm. So her, her death scene is quite quite extended. Actually, a lot, I think it's interesting that her death scene is a lot longer than Marmaladov's is. Yeah, that uh, it's an interesting that uh, maybe th- there's nothing to see here, but in Marmaladov's last moments, he's kind of begging Sonia for forgiveness, which. Although apparently, you know, apparently as something that you might do as a caring parent, it is something that's ultimately like everything else in his life, frankly, is kind of centered on him after he needs, he needs absolution from Sonia for everything he's done. Of course, you know, like, like when we had that earlier discussion, he's talking about the end of days when, you know, finally he'll be accepted by, by God, even though he's a drunkard, not nothing that actually needs, makes him need to change anything about himself, but you know, just one day he'll get absolution. So until then he can keep doing what he's doing. Um, well, whereas Katarina Vonda is as much, even even though hers, I guess, appears less in a magnanimous in a way, it's 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 a little more. She's, I mean, she's kind of out of a little bit of her mind, so she doesn't really recognize what's going around here, and just says simply, "Oh, well, I'm kind of tired now." Before she passes, is an interesting, it's interesting look back and forth on them. Yeah, it's closer, I guess, to like the long longer deaths in uh, in mm-hmm. her Karenina, uh, Levin's brother, being the main one, where they're just sitting around, just like, "Oh my God, please die." Um, <laughs> it's not quite the same here, but it's the first extended death I think that we see. Um, so yeah. it is interesting. That's a really interesting comparison because, like, you know, it's kind of a joke that oh my god, please die, but it does kind of address that like they've already kind of gone through mourning in a way. So at a certain point, they're like awkwardly like, okay, well, is he gonna die? Because we're really tired now, e- right? Uh, right. We've kind of kind of gone through mourning, and this one it really doesn't engage with that. It's really kind of it's kind of horrible the whole way through as she's singing various songs from her childhood and like just it's 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 a, it, like well like many things that Dostoevsky writes kind of a rough read because at no point is there that kind of <laughs> Tolstoyan okay we've had our moment of grieving uh, obviously we feel really really bad that we've had that moment but like that's kind of how our emotions have gone to a really genuine like wow this is terrible the whole way through um we're like really losing our mother for better or for worse she was quite well for for better or for worse before a little before the street performer thing she really did was was trying to do her best for for all of her kids um even though she definitely put <laughs> she definitely put some the the uh some pressures upon them yeah i would say very lightly say at least <laughs> very very lightly yeah considering that's what she's working with um 
yeah but um should we wrap it up yeah i think that's i mean like it's weird to i feel like we haven't talked about a whole lot but also not a whole lot happens in this chapter i feel like a lot of this is gonna be set up for the next part uh, which will be joined by one of our 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 most frequent returnee uh dr caitlin shirley who uh has been with us through our all of our dust dirty journal journeys actually so it's it's uh she's finally coming back for to, to start talking about some of the broader themes of oh, what we're seeing in this series in part six of crime and punishment yeah i'm really excited for this because we only had one guest so far uh we've got them all bookended so uh it'll, <laughs> it'll be excited exciting to talk to someone kind of now that we've read it will be six parts next week to kind mm-hmm. of start getting to a summation of what we've been through <laughs> yeah exactly so matt uh, on a scale of one to yeltsin i think we forgot to do this last week or the week before where uh where are you on the scale i think we forgot to do it for like 10 episodes straight actually because <laughs> i think i duplicated a script that didn't have it in it and then we just we kept doing it and then we kept forgetting well, the problem is that the last two episodes we did, I, I think we did it for maybe part two of this. The last two episodes have been very, very drunk. So that I, is I think true. you did forget, forget to transfer that over and we get down to the closing script. And normally like the script is so in our minds, we, it's really more of a totem than it is an actual like script we need. But if it's not there when we're very drunk, we will forget to do it. So yes, I, I, I look at the script just kind of out of habit when I record, but then I, I don't yeah. even, the words don't process in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. Uh, yeah. So maybe that'll tell us something about where you are on the scale right now. No, it's not because I'm drunk. It's just because I I, <laughs> I don't believe in my own script. <laughs> I've seen it too many times. I know it's coming. Um, That's valid. But speaking of drunk meters and whatnot, honestly, like three or four. Three or four? It's been, it's been a slow burn on the, on, on the coffee whiskey. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you? I am. I, I have only had, I've only had one beer tonight, uh, this cucumber sour, which Shame. while very good is yeah probably more like a shame. one shame yeah but next time part six and part in the epilogue definitely you cannot just have a one no it's not it's not a one beer kind of deal no it's not it's certainly not so we'll get we'll get we'll get we'll, we'll cross well we'll stumble over that bridge when we get there <laughs> well matt i'd ask you what we're covering next week but we are at part five of crime and punishment so i guess that is a bit of a hint but for the sake of our script what are we covering next week Next week, we are going to be covering part six of Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. We're going to be joined by the wonderful Dr. Caitlin Shirley. Once again, she's been with us for a couple of our previous Dostoevsky episodes, and she has graciously agreed to come back for part six. If you're planning on reading along with us, be sure to pick up your copy through our affiliate links on our website. Yeah, I'm super excited to, like we mentioned before, start getting into like the wrap-up and talking about that wrap-up with Dr. Shirley, because Dr. Shirley always brings very good insights, and I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Me too. Before we let you go, we want to extend a sincere thank you to all of our current patrons. We've got Jeff, Madeline, and Janice, Daniel, Darren, Daniel, Jack, Paige, Jesse, Lou, Alex, Larkin, Irini, Brandon, Allison, Cole, Elise, Mysterious Donor Dude, Joanne, Drew, Yitza, Alex, Stephanie, and Julie. Podcasting isn't free, and grad school doesn't pay very well, so if you're interested in joining with our current patrons to keep the show running, take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy. The music used in this episode was Soviet March and The International by Toasted Tomatoes. You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcamp.com and also on YouTube under the same username. If you're looking for other places to find us, you can also follow us on Instagram at Tipsy Tolstoy Podcast and join our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. You'll hear from us again soon.